Well, as was said earlier, uh, I'm Brian Loney. I'm the pastor of the Roslindale West Roxbury congregation. I know some of you, but not all of you. I am thankful for this congregation. I'm thankful for Bradley's invitation for the elders having uh, me here. And uh, it is just a privilege to pray for you, to be prayed for as a congregation by all of you. Uh, and uh, I'm excited that we're in the book of Acts together. Uh, and we find ourselves in the same passage which I preached on this morning, and now I have the privilege to preach on again uh, this evening. As I think of what you've heard read, the events of Pentecost, the, the spectacle of it, the disarming nature of it, uh, I think of a, an experience I had not long ago uh, of hearing a strange sound in my home uh, that disarmed me. Uh, it was a little over two weeks ago. I was between work meetings. I was pretty excited because I was just catching my breath to go to an evening meeting to meet with some folks uh, from our congregation. Sat down in the living room and I heard a noise. Now I've recently moved into a new home, uh, an old home, but a new home for our family uh, in Hyde Park. Uh, and I am hearing strange sounds all the time in that home. Uh, but as I sat down this night, I just, I heard this peculiar noise coming, what I thought was, from beneath me in the basement, uh, and I was tempted to ignore it, uh, just to think, old home, plenty of noises, I'm really looking forward to this meeting, uh, but curiosity got the best of me, and the noise persisted. I thought to myself, huh, could the washing machine be on in the basement beneath me? Nope. Um, Again, thought, that's probably nothing, heard it, it heard the noise, uh, was curious, and made my way into the kitchen. I said, is it the refrigerator? Nope. The stove, the dishwasher, what is making that noise? And it wasn't that loud, but it was peculiar. It wasn't long before I made my way to the bathroom on the first floor, and as I opened the door, found the source of the noise because there was water everywhere. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. That was my first time to have an experience uh, like that. It is overwhelming. It's one of those moments where you just concede, I'm not in control. I have very little power. I need help. Were any of your plans and your perceived control are revealed <laughs> to be uh, an illusion? Quickly address the problem. Not quickly, but address the problem. So let's leave the story there. Uh, for now. Flip the water main, cleaned up. Uh, a, a pipe that had been worked on recently just came loose. So the hot water pipe was just pouring out uh, in the bathroom. But it made me think, as I, as I look at the events of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, in this strange sound of my plans and my power, the limits of these things, the illusion of these things, and I wonder how that might speak to you. The scriptures teach us that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Acts 2 talks about a profound display of God's plan and his power, a strange sound with implications that resonate unto us th this day, that have profound significance for us this day. Acts 2 speaks of promises being fulfilled and promises that will be 
fulfilled despite our perceived plans and our perceived power. Two things I want to do as we dig into this passage, and if you have one of those blue Bibles, you might want to pull it out. I think it's page 909. Uh, I want to look at the what and the why of Pentecost. What happened and why did it happen? Now, here's the good thing. Bradley's going to be back next week, uh, and the Apostle Peter stands up in the wake of these verses and gives a sermon explaining more of the why. So I'm merely going to get us started with the why. We can unpack it for weeks on end. We could unpack the what for weeks on end. So Bradley will come back, and he'll be able to compliment and add, and, and, uh, and I look forward to having him at our congregation next week to do the same thing and to hear uh, how God might use him uh, in that way. Okay, the what. What happened? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty or strong rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. What is Pentecost? Pentecost, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a harvest festival of the Jewish people, celebrated for centuries prior, but redefined roughly 2,000 years ago, on this particular occasion of celebrating it. It was an annual pilgrimage festival, much like Passover, so that nearby faithful Jewish people would make their way to the temple complex in Jerusalem to celebrate and give thanks to the Lord for the harvest that had just ended, a grain or a wheat harvest that had just ended, uh, and corporately worship and praise God together. It means 50th. The word Pentecost means 50th. It came roughly 50 days after Passover. Some might even stay around Jerusalem from Passover to Pentecost rather than traveling home. But you see with all these nations represented, uh, the, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, that faithful Uh, Jewish people were traveling from a distance. And if you know anything about the history of nation Israel before these events 2,000 years ago, they had faced great persecution. Uh, There were times when the nation uh, was attacked and the Israelites were exiled to Assyria and Babylonia, scattered throughout what was then the Roman Empire, so that to the east in Mesopotamia, to the north in Asia Minor, to the west all the way to the Rome, to North Africa, Libya, Uh, represented uh, here. There were those of Jewish background who had grown up in other cultures speaking other languages who would still travel on these pilgrimage festivals to be there with other faithful Israelites celebrating what had been celebrated for the centuries. It was a harvest festival. And other commentators have said, in fact, if I say anything particularly striking today, I've been reading so many commentators on this credit to others. A harvest festival where, as Bradley will talk next week, there was a harvest of 3,000 or so converts. There's something very unique and spectacular about these events that is significant for us today as we walk out those doors. 120 folks or so dwelling last week. You talked about the verses prior to this. Here we have them again in a dwelling. We don't know where that dwelling place is. Maybe it's the same room of Acts 1. Maybe it's another. Some have speculated it's in the temple complex. What we do know is they were gathered in a significantly sized space 
120 who were already devoted to prayer, waiting for what had been promised to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And they prayed, likely, that promise as they waited. Witnesses in waiting to be clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. What was happening? Pentecost. A harvest festival where there was a unique display of God's power, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was marked with what sounded like wind, what looked like fire. It wasn't fire, but it looked like fire. Strong rushing wind, divided tongues as a fire resting on each of them. Can you just stop for a moment and consider? Like I heard a little trickle of water. I don't know if that if the dwelling place shook, but this would be as unusual for them as you can imagine it being for you. Disarming, didn't fit our typical expectations. A supernatural work of God from heaven. An outpouring of the Spirit, a defining moment in the life of the New Testament church. And we are 2,000 years downstream as faithful witnesses have gone out to the end of the earth. It's astounding. The sound of wind, the appearance of fire, Galileans who would not have any knowledge of these languages or instruction in these different languages, speaking of the what? The, the mighty works of God, verse 11. Likely the rescuing work of Christ, the unfolding rescue plan of God, what, what, what was being accomplished through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, what was yet to be consummated. I, I don't know all that was being communicated. But what I do know is boundaries were being broken down as people from all, representatives of all these different nations were hearing God's plan. And where were they going to go? Back to the end of the earth. It's astounding. John Stott in his commentary and thinking about the wind and fire and speech talks about how this points to the power of God displayed in the Holy Spirit's work here. The purity or presence of God uh, pictured in what appeared to be fire. And the universality of the mission of God that's breaking down boundaries, going out to the nations, every nation, tongue, and tribe. Jesus once likened the Holy Spirit to wind, telling Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The word translated spirit in Holy Spirit can also be translated breath or wind or life. I've heard it referred to by one commentator as the power presence of God. Make no mistake about it. It is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. And we see a unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit's ministry here. The Holy Spirit does so much. The Holy Spirit has life-giving power. It's pictured in the opening verses of Scripture hovering over the waters of creation. The passage I read for you, uh, Jesus talking with Nicodemus, talks about the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, bringing what is spiritually dead, all of us short of God's rescuing work, 
to life. So that if if you sincerely trust in Jesus Christ, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to take hold of these mighty works for your own. All praise to God. No boast in self. The Holy Spirit has always been at work. The Holy Spirit has no beginning. The Holy Spirit's at work from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. Involved in creation. Involved, this may sound provocative, involved in Abraham's faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. How could he believe without a work of God? What work of God? If not the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can wrestle with these things. We can talk about these things, right? The Holy Spirit has guided God's people, has gifted God's people, has appointed God's people for certain tasks that the Holy Spirit was active in Moses' life. All the way up to the Apostle Paul's life. And the Holy Spirit is active in every believer in Jesus Christ right now. But What's on display here is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, why? What specifically was happening with that outpouring of the Holy Spirit? We'll get to the why in a minute. The fire, you think of fire in the scriptures, and others have said this, you think of fire when God appears to his people in peculiar ways, like the burning bush, or the Israelites following a pillar of fire during their wilderness years, or being constituted as a nation at Mount Sinai where the mountain had fire appearing upon it. Fire, the holiness, the power, the majesty of God, the purity of God, the presence of God. And certainly God was present with this group roughly 2,000 years ago in in a profound, defining way. And we've already talked about the speech. The speech, which were actual languages. They were speaking in the tongues of different nations. Not having studied, likely, these, these, these tongues speaks to the mission of God. God always purposed, and you see this with Abraham in Genesis, always purposed to establish a nation that would be a blessing to all the nations. Always promised that a king was coming who would be the king of a people cutting across nation, tongue, and tribe. So why Pentecost and why this display of what appeared to be mighty rushing wind, the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God with this group, the speech with this group? What happened? A radical display of the power of God at a Jewish harvest festival 2,000 years ago. Why did it happen, and why does it matter for you as you go out these doors today? Again, anything I don't mention, I leave to Bradley to pick up. And uh, actually, as an aside, I have the privilege of, when we work on sermons, we often talk together. And it's such a privilege to be able to talk with your pastor and learn from your pastor as I get to preach to uh, our congregation. What did these events mark? So why did it happen? Why does it matter for us? Well, what you'll see as you start next week is Peter stands up and he quotes uh, the prophet Joel, speaking of long-awaited last days that have come. It was the expectation of God's people that a king would come to bring restoration uh, on a major scale. And as Bradley unpacks some of what Joel said to the people, 
This display of wind and fire marked the last days. So if you are interested in the end times, I want to tell you today, you live in them. That the the display of Pentecost marked the beginning of the end times. That's how the Bible talks about it. The last days, a time of great restoration marked by Jesus' first coming, that's the inauguration, and his second coming, that's the consummation. We live in the last days, and they were marked so that we couldn't miss it. But we do, short of the Holy Spirit opening her eyes to, to remember this, this day, Christian. This actually happened. This isn't a tale. This is foundational history. And all of our plans ought to be rightly rooted in it. A once-for-all event, defining a new era. The king has come. The king has risen. The king has been exalted so that many have said, when you study this passage, Jesus ascended to the heavenly realm, sits at the right hand of God the Father. He has taken his throne, so to speak. So this is the display that flows out of his coronation. He came as the suffering servant. He is the risen, exalted king. He is growing his church through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And I know Bradley is using John Stott's title uh, for the book, Uh, Jesus working through the apostles by the Holy Spirit. That's not exact, but it's in the ballpark. It's clunkier than the traditional title, but I think it's far more accurate and worth our consideration. The spectacle of Pentecost marked the last days. It marked the coronation of our king. He's alive. He's growing his church through earthly representatives empowered by the Holy Spirit, uniquely through the foundation of the apostles. But we stand upon that foundation as witnesses, called to witness to what we've experienced, empowered by the same Holy Spirit. Not apostles, but it's spectacular what we are called into. Why? Pentecost, marking the last days, marking the coronation Why Pentecost? A promise fulfilled. You will be clothed with power from on high, he told his disciples. There has never been a promise made by our God that he has not kept or will not keep. Ponder the events of 2,000 years ago. Think about their significance for you right now. What preoccupies you? I don't know about you. So much preoccupies me where I can preach this, but, but Lord... Would my heart come alive to it through the power of your Holy Spirit? Would it not be a performance today? Would we rejoice that this is the reality and we can't mess it up? The gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. Why does this matter for us today? Because God delivered on his promise of power from on high, the Holy Spirit, to empower his people to a glorious boundary-breaking mission that you are called to participate in this day, this moment, and every day, Christian. It is astounding. It is a mission worth living for and a mission that we can only live for through the power of the Holy Spirit and how our songs today were filled with that truth. I'm thankful for that. So here's the question. What changed the other side of Pentecost? Right? Because I've already made the case the Holy Spirit has been active, Genesis, and is active all the way to Revelation. The Holy Spirit is eternal. 
the ministry is everlasting. So there is continuity to the Holy Spirit's work among the saints, Christians, those who profess faith in Christ, those of old who looked to the promise of the Messiah. But there is discontinuity. Something groundbreaking happened. I've already said, it marked the last days. Right there, that's discontinuity. A passage that I came across in studying different commentaries that's been helpful for me with this is Numbers 11. And I want to read just a little bit of Numbers 11 to show you some promise and some fulfillment. Long ago, Moses was set apart to lead the people of God. And as he led the people of God through things like the parting of the Red Sea, he was frustrated with them because they grumbled. They saw God do great things and they complained and even looked back. Maybe it would be better if we never left Egypt. They were constituted as a, formally constituted as a people at Mount Sinai, giving of the Ten Commandments, profound spectacle of God's power. Uh, and then they departed and they started to march to the promised land. And what did they do? They complained and they grumbled. I resonate. This is my heart. I see it. But listen to what Moses says in Numbers 11. This is centuries before the events of Pentecost that we've just, read, that we've just heard read. Verse 14 of Numbers 11, I am not able to carry all this people alone, he says to God. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. He is worn out by the people's complaining. And God says to him, the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and, and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand with, there with you. God is giving him helpers to bear burden. And I will come down and I will talk with you there. And I will take, listen to this, I will take some of the spirit that was upon Moses as an appointed representative, I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. This has relevance for Pentecost. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Moses went out further down in the passage and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, this is familiar language, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. There were two, and it's unclear. They seem to be part of the 70 who weren't at the tent, but maybe they weren't. It's kind of hard if you study this. After the service, you'll see why I'm being a little cautious. There were two, Eldad and Medad, who weren't there. And the scriptures go on to say, now two men remained in the camp. They didn't go to the tent. One named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. And so they were off by their own, and people saw that they began to prophesy. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. And this is what I want you to hear. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Here's something different after Pentecost. It is clear that the Holy Spirit worked from Genesis to Revelation and that the Spirit was upon Moses. 
But this is the illustration I've heard that helps understand a quantitative distinction that happened at Pentecost. Many have said the Spirit worked like a water dropper or a glass in the Old Testament. There were some singled out. The Spirit was upon them. They were directed and guided like Moses. Some, like the 70, who the Spirit would rest upon. But what appears to have happened at Pentecost is the floodgates were opened. The Spirit rested on the 120. They were appointed as witnesses. Now, I'm not saying anything about prophecy, which ceased. That's for another day. Let's not get distracted from the role of the Spirit in empowering God's leaders in past and all of us now to the glorious mission of making the mighty works of God known to the end of the earth. That Spirit rested upon 120. The floodgates have been opened at Pentecost. This is ultimately, there's so much this is about and so much debate about what's happening here, but most agree this is about the overwhelming outpouring of the Spirit to empower all of the members of the church to the glorious mission of making Jesus known, making the mighty works of God known, the growth of the church. King Jesus, think, think about this. The Son of God has no beginning, but roughly 2,000 years ago took flesh and a name humbled himself to take the form of servant. And Jesus would spend a lot of time with a small group of people. And when he was leaving them, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. The incarnate Christ has risen and ascended to the heavenly realm, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, this seems qualitatively different. Now, at our point in redemptive history, the Holy Spirit unites us with the incarnate Christ so that the incarnate Christ is not just with 11, but with every one of his followers, guiding, directing, and empowering them. Now, this doesn't mean we're all church leaders. Got to be careful going down that path. This doesn't mean we all have the same role. Be very careful going down that path. Scripture interprets scripture, study scripture about the church. We need to learn more and more about the beauty of the church. Quantitatively, floodgates open. A fullness, what some have called a fullness and a deepening and a broadened scope of the Spirit's ministry among all those who profess faith in Christ. It's overwhelming. The floodgates have opened and they move. And we are caught up in it 2,000 years later. Praise God. Qualitatively, the Holy Spirit, you can look at Romans 8 for some support in this, in a very real way, is the incarnate Christ, our risen, exalted, ascended King with us. Still the third person of the Trinity, but uniting us to Christ in such a way, and it's the same thing at the Lord's Supper at the table, so that Christ is with you now, Christian, in a very real way. We're just getting started thinking about Pentecost and thinking about its significance and thinking about how Numbers 11 looked to Joel 2 that you'll talk about next week, looked to Pentecost, looked to the excitement of getting to live for this by the power from on high. What happened to radical display of the power of God? Why did it happen? Power for the new era, a glorious boundary-breaking mission of the New Testament church that will be consummated when the Lord Jesus returns and all wrongs are set to right. 
One other parallel to point out, and I just want to quickly make it, centuries of commentators have seen a link between Pentecost and the Tower of Babel. I don't want to get into too much speculation, but if you read Genesis 10 and 11, you see Noah's descendants becoming all sorts of nations. They're supposed to fill the earth. We were made to fill the earth, glorify God, but they don't. They have a different plan. In Genesis 11, they gather together and say, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They try to work their way to God. They try to rob God of glory. And their greatest accomplishment is a kid's drawing on the fridge. As high as they get, God would have to stoop down to even see it. What are you planning this day? What power are you resting in this day? That's a picture of humanity, us trying to play God and what it deserves, separation from God everlasting. What we see in Pentecost, oh, and in Babel, what happens is God confuses their languages and they scatter. Now we see a bunch of languages united around the mighty works of God hearing it. Our God reverses what's broken through his grace and mercy. Our God empowers us to take hold of the only way to restore relationship with him, the son of God who took flesh and lived the life we never could. Our good works do not work. Our best day of good works is like trying to jump the Grand Canyon, but Jesus came, a second Adam, a, a new humanity, living up to every law given at Sinai, every command of God perfectly. Why? That he might merit for those who trust in him life everlasting, restored relationship with God while bearing what I deserve, what we all deserve for rebelling against God. Do you believe that? Have you trusted in that? Have you trusted in the once for all finished work of the cross? Do you see the once for all marking of the coronation of the king and the opportunity to live for him this day? Many are planning to go to a Super Bowl party. How are all of our plans rooted in the greater plan and power of God? What, are you telling me I can't go to a Super Bowl party? I'm not going to tell you that. But I would ask you, every plan you have this moment, plans going well and plans thwarted, where is there opportunity to contemplate through Acts 2 and other portions of Scripture the plan and the power of God? Where have you lost focus, Christian? Where have you been saying the right things, but you know you're living for vain ambition? Perhaps your plans have been thwarted and you're hurting. I'm ministering to a lot of people who are hurting right now. How do thwarted plans give you opportunity to cry out with the people of God, the promises of God, remembering the plan and the power of God, looking to the one who can comfort, who can secure, who never fails as we often fail each other? I am struck by the response of the people as I, as I wrap up here. I'm struck by the response of the people who see this spectacle and in verse 12 say, what does this mean while others mock? And I'm not the first to do this either. Many have looked at the response and caused us to think about our response. I would just ask you to consider this day. Perhaps you're too tired. It's a long day. I'm going on. What do the events of Pentecost mean to you? Are you prone to ignore them? Just a fairy tale. To mock them? 
to ignore, not it's a fairy tale, but I just, oh, I just don't know. And I got other things to, to do. I could have ignored the flood in my bathroom, but that doesn't mean it wasn't being flooded. I came to faith as a 28-year-old. I came to faith while teaching psychology at a school down in Florida. If I'm honest, I did ignore and mock so much, even if it didn't look like that. Praise God. If he can rescue someone like me, he can rescue anyone. Don't ignore it. Or ask yourself, is it worthy of further study? Yes. Ask, this is a place where you can ask questions and you can study and not be coerced. Are you amazed by it, Christian? Amazed doesn't equal faith. Many were amazed by what Jesus did but didn't have faith in him. Are you perplexed? Well, what do I do next? Knit yourself to the people of God and study his plans and purposes. Find a Bible-believing church like this one and dig in and ask God to teach you much about his plan and his power. Ask hard questions. Don't pretend and perform. Don't go through the motions. Oh, that we would grow in faith, not performance. Christian, what an opportunity to repent of our vain plans and our perceived power. You may feel in control right now. You may feel out of control. Appearances are deceiving. God is in control. His plan is unfolding. He is where true security is found. Faith in Christ is where true security is found. Everything else is a vapor that will slip through our fingers and not secure us, even if it was fun, even if it was exciting. How can we repent of our plans and power? How can we rejoice in Pentecost this day? How can we pray for further revival? This was revival, and I bet Bradley talks about that next week, as 3,000 or so people are cut to the heart and place faith. Bradley has challenged me as a brother in Christ to pray for revival, and it is a good thing to pray for. Renewing me the joy of my salvation, the reality of Pentecost, the opportunity we have to lock arms as Christian brothers and sisters to live in the wake of Pentecost for God's glorious rescue mission by the power he provides. Amen? Let me pray for us.